the Free Speaking Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Mintz and Joseph Nardone. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Monday morning. It is December 5th. I'm your co-host, Jared Vince, and joining me today and every other day that we record this lovely podcast, it's my co-host, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how are you doing today, man? How was your weekend? Oh, it's the best weekend. Greatest weekend ever. You could ask anybody about my weekends. They're always the best. And uh, I had big hands. I'm going to stop asking you questions. I just think that's probably the best way to get through this. I, I don't know what else. I think I'm just going to introduce the show. Alex Baldwin does a horrible impersonation of President-elect. It's sad. It's totally you know biased. What, you know what's funny? I thought about putting that on the rundown for today's show, just cause, like as our bad tweet, because I thought that was a pretty bad tweet. Like, Wait, about 90 of them. Alex Baldwin's really good. <laughs> Yeah, I got to be completely honest. I have not watched Saturday Night Live outside the Dave Chappelle episode in probably about like a year. To be honest, since they had him host the show, Trump, since they had Donald Trump host the show, I kind of haven't been able to watch it. And uh, so I've missed Alec Baldwin's impression. Maybe Trump's right. Maybe it's just not a good impression. No, it's solid. I mean, I've never liked Saturday Night Live's cold opens ever. That, that's it? You're not going on from there? That's no, I just mean like I know that's like part of their whole spiel throughout the whole history. I've never enjoyed a single one of their cold opens. Yeah, Out, outside I, of like the like when they're doing like a tribute or a memory for something horrible, like after nine eleven, or um, I believe they did one after a shooting as well. Like outside of stuff like that, when they have like a musician play something during the cold open or some kind of just random like tribute thing. When I'm talking, I'm talking skits only. I don't like their cold opens. Interesting. That, that's understandable, I suppose. I, I won't give you a hard time about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually like this season so far is decent, although they're still not utilizing Pete Davidson enough. Fair enough. Get Pete Davidson in there. It's weird. It's he's, Stop playing the vets. It doesn't matter if the vets are going to be upset for not getting played. Like play the, the, women, the women cast are still strong, right? They're still really good. Event, uh, weekend updates, really. Michael Che and Colin Jost, they're really good. And then, like, whenever they go to the men, they're going to the wrong men. Right. Well, Tar- Taron Killam's not on the show anymore, right? Right. And, the, I and he, was, like, he was good. He, he was like the strongest like male lead they had for like the last few years after they lost like the Andy Sandbergs and Bill Haters. And, and you know what's odd? Like I, I never really liked him, but he's actually been good this season. But Keenan Thompson. Keenan Thompson's back. I thought last season was going to be his last season. So did I. I thought I thought they made the announcement and everything, but he's been on every episode so far this season, and he's probably had the best run of his Saturday Night Live career so far. That's great. I love Keenan Thompson. Uh, we actually didn't plan on talking about Saturday No, I'm sorry. I apologize. For the first three minutes of the show, but I'm glad that we went there. Emma Stone was good. She hosted this past week. The musical guest was a guy I never heard of. He was not so great. And there's your SNL recap. You can follow us and listen to us every Monday for SNL recap <laughs> starting the show. Do you, are you, one of the, uh, you ever notice, like, on Saturday Night Live, like, it tries to start strong, and then, like, after the musical guest, it always goes downhill. Uh, no, I have not noticed that. I actually, I think, like, towards the end of the show, the sketches tend to get good. I mean, I, obviously, they, like, start with their stronger stuff, but I remember they used to always end with the, uh... Digital the shorts? Two, well, digital shorts used to be in the middle, but, like, talking recently, like, towards the end of the show, they would have the two former uh, porn stars who are now sales oh, people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Commercials and stuff. I always thought they were pretty funny, and they're towards the end of the show, so I, I don't know. Again, I have not watched the show in about a year, if not longer, so you aside changed. from Dave Chappelle and Larry David hosting, I just have not watched at all. Fair enough. 
All right, let's talk about sports. <laughs> All right, so we got a bunch to talk about today. Between uh, NFL Week 13, a lot of things happening, including Joe passing me in the, the weekly pick run. Right, let me know. Like, I, I kind of didn't really remember what was going on, but then I was watching the scores. I was like, wait, I think I picked this in Jared Dinner. Yeah, I got crushed yesterday. I had a bad day, but we're going to wait until Friday to talk about our picks. We still how have- awesome I am. Yeah, you're you're doing pretty well actually. I think I think you went three and one, and I went one and three so far through these first four games. We still got Monday Night Football to try and save us. So please, Jets, save me, save <laughs> me, Jets. That sounds dependable. We're hoping for the Jets to save me, but um, not to talk about us, but to talk about the NFL. We had a crazy Week 13. Some very impressive road wins. Some teams climbing the standings. Uh, we also had some important things happening in the NBA, and one super team looking very super, but. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's start the show off with, I guess, the latest NFL news topic that that people are discussing, and that's last night Seattle Seahawks beating down the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they won forty to seven. The game was played in Seattle. Uh, I guess the the biggest thing that come from that game was uh, Earl Thomas broke his leg, and during the game he tweeted about you know considering retirement. He hurt himself in the first quarter, and like before the third quarter even starts, he's already tweeting about the injury. So. It's not a good look, but hopefully he'll be able to come back strong and, and play again at some point. But in all likeliness, it, it seems Earl Thomas is done for the year. Probably hurts the Seahawks' chances at getting back to the Super Bowl. But the topic that people are discussing this morning isn't anything based on the Seahawks or their impressive win. It's it's really about the Panthers and their quarterback being benched for the first series of the game. Apparently Cam Newton broke a dress code last night before the game in that he didn't wear a tie to the game. So Ron Rivera benches his quarterback, his franchise quarterback, really his his best player by a mile on the offensive end, at least, for the first series of the game. And, I mean, sure, you lose 40-7. to seven, You can't really blame it on not having Cam Newton out there for the first series. But I didn't think it was a good look. Joe, what, what do you think? Are we, making, are we making something of nothing here? I kind of think so. Also, you know what else isn't a good look? Cam Newton's turtleneck. My goodness. It's 2016. Stop wearing turtlenecks, people. Cam dresses differently, so I'm never going to jump in and say what he's wearing is weird or don't dress like that. Like, it's just his look. And, dude, when I you're that... Say, I, he can wear what he wants, and that's great. I could tell him that's an ugly turtleneck. You sure can. He's, like, 6'5 and, like, looks like a model, though, so it's really not my place to, to comment on his, his attire and how weird it might be. The hat thing is weird, but... I guess that that's just like a modern athlete's thing. Carmelo does the hats too. Listen, I they're they're, they're they're Carolina's in a losing season, and Ron Rivera is probably worried about losing the locker room. And it was one series. He didn't bench him for a quarter of the game. He benched him for a series. Well, that's the thing too. Is why even bench a guy for a series? It just it just, feels it's so- just, if it's a team rule, and you're already losing during this. Like you're not making the playoffs, so you don't want to lose. If that's the team rule. And you don't want to make the exception because Cam's your best player, because you don't want to lose the rest of the locker room. You just do it for the series. Fair enough. It's just to me again. It's like what kind of what kind of statement are you making other than yeah, we enforce rules here. We don't care who it is. I just it's it's a series. It's so meaningless. And it's exactly. Just, it, so why are you making such a big deal about it? I'm not making a big deal out of it. People are making a big. You deal You just out. said you just said it was useless. Yeah, I, yeah, mean, I think not, I think you're outraged. I'm. Definitely mad. Real, real mad about it. I, I think you're I don't hashtag even, mad online, even though I, we're not online. I was hoping maybe you'd have a good take about this, because I, I just I don't have a good take. I don't care either way. Honestly, like, if he if that was the rule and he, he gave the exception for the rule to Cam, awesome. 
and he, but he chose to bench him for a series, which turned out to be a singular play. Um, Derek Anderson threw a pick, not his fault. Um, running back dropped the football. But, uh, I mean, it's really no big deal. We're making this a big deal because it's Cam Newton and the Panthers stink this year. And somehow somebody's going to turn the turtleneck tie talk into why the Panthers aren't winning this season. I concur, and I hope it doesn't reach that level. But I think we should. I think we. I think I think you bury the lead here by refusing to talk about the turtleneck talk. Go on, please. Well, I'm just saying. Listen, like when I was in high school, which is like ten years ago now at this point, lot longer. Jeez, I'm old. Um, yeah, mock turtlenecks were in, like in 2001, 2002, mock turtlenecks. Cam was rocking full turtleneck. And maybe it's, they say, like, you know, style always circles back around. So maybe I'm wrong and I'm old and I'm, I'm an old bogey. But I don't get it. Like you said, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say that Cam Newton's a good-looking guy. Don't cover up Don't cover up that neck, Cam Newton. You have, you have powerful neck muscles. Yeah, Cam, show us your neck. Yeah, show us. Give us some neck. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's pivot. We didn't have anything good to talk about there anyway. Just let's talk about what everybody else is talking about. Yeah, pretty much. Neither of us care. And no, not even a little bit. Not a fan of turtlenecks. Me. Really, really what I wanted to start the show off with, however, was what I considered to be one of the most impressive wins yesterday. And that was the Pittsburgh Steelers defending their home field and beating up on the New York Giants. Final score of that game was 24-14, to but it just felt like the Steelers were really in control and kind of cruising through the whole game. Their defense looked great. They made Eli look... Uh, Pretty bad out there for the most part. Eli threw two picks. What a shocker. Average means. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's just weird. It feels like like a high-volume offensive NBA player watching the Giants, the way mm-hmm. they just try to force the ball to Odell Beckham. It's like, we get it. They, they don't have the most weapons on this team. But, like, Odell gets 16 targets, and he's being covered <laughs> so heavily the next closest was Sterling Shepard got eight targets, and none of them are really downfield well, at all. Rash- oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I thought Rashad Jennings had more targets, but you're right. Yeah, Je- Je- Jennings has six targets. Will Ty gets four. But, I mean, really, the, Something the only other... Something called Adams got three. Right. The only other receiver that gets involved at all is, is Shepard getting the eight targets. He winds up catching four of them for 21 yards. It just felt, it felt so weird the way they kept forcing the ball to Beckham, and I know he's your best playmaker... And I, I say this all the time when, when people give Beckham a, a hard time about being dramatic or getting upset or, you know, wearing his heart on his sleeve on the football field. But he gets frustrated easily. And the more you're forcing the ball to him into double coverage and when guys are playing him physical, it just it seemed very destructive watching the Giants try to climb back into this game. And I, I got to give the Steelers defense credit because they're they're missing. I, I'm blanking on his name. I want to call <laughs> right, they're they're missing some of their best defensive players, and we thought that they were going to take a, a a big step back on the defensive end. But they look pretty strong against the Giants' offense that had kind of been cruising. And again, you know, now the Steelers' offense looks to be you know gaining its best form. We saw the debut of their three-headed monster that we've kind of been waiting all season to see, and that's uh, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and now they add Ladarius Green to the fold, who's finally healthy and not even blocking, but just running routes. Green catches six balls for 110 yards and a touchdown yesterday and looked pretty unstoppable. Joe, were you impressed with the Steelers, or do you think the Giants just kind of had a bad Giants game yesterday? I'm, I, th- I think this is – listen, I am impressed with the Steelers. But um, just offensively, they are – I mean, Roethlisberger's great. Le'Veon Bell's great. Uh, Tony O'Brown's great. And if Ladarius Green can be this guy, they're going to be a special team. So, like, I don't want to take away from them. 
It's just the this is kind of since Eli's come to the NFL. Sometimes the Giants just have a game like this where Eli forces the ball. They have a lot of flags, and they turn the ball over a bunch. And it just happens sometimes with the play. It doesn't actually mean anything. It just means like, hey, Eli had an Eli game that he has like three or four times a year, and it's it's okay. That's fair. I'm, I'm okay chalking this up to being an Eli game. Again, I don't really think the story needs to be, like, what's going on with the Giants? Are they in trouble? No, me neither. That's what I mean. Like, it's just, sometimes, the, like, it doesn't, it's not exclusive to the Giants. Sometimes the team just poops to, get, uh, poops to bed. They only lost by 10. It's not like they got smoked. Right. They, they, they were still in it. They, they weren't getting crushed. It just, again, it felt like a game that the Steelers were kind of in the lead and kind of had control of the whole game. Giants had a bunch of chances to, to get back into it, but, you know, again, we saw Eli throw a couple of costly picks trying to force the ball into Odell Beckham. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the Giants again. I think the story here is more Steelers are good, and this could be a team that, that's catching momentum at the right time. Yeah, I think that's fair. Another team in the AFC that we saw yesterday clearly catching momentum at the right time is Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs go to Atlanta and get down big early in the game. Uh Maybe not that big, but it, it looked like it looked like they were struggling. They were they're down thirteen they're to down six. Four. They, they're, down thir- they're down thirteen to six early in the first half, and the Atlanta offense was kind of having their way moving the ball. Julio Jones got off to like a he caught like four balls for like sixty yards early in the game or something like that, and it just it didn't look like the Chiefs were going to get any stops. And then they responded really strongly. They only gave up twelve points in the second half, and Alex Smith Alex Smith had a huge game. Completes 21 to 25 passes for 270 yards. And I know you're going to play the whole dink and dunk thing. Alex Smith doesn't throw the ball deep downfield, which you're right, he doesn't. But listen, what he does is good enough for them. Spencer Ware has a big bounce back day, finds the end zone uh, a couple times. And it was just, it's a big win for the Chiefs, who somehow are magically just 9-3 and three right now when, you know, they're in a division with Oakland and Denver and didn't expect them to be this good, especially with the injuries they faced. Joe, are you impressed with the Chiefs? Yeah, I think you you forgot to mention the only reason Kansas City won is because Atlanta went for two, and then Eric Berry picked the ball off. That's the only two points they scored in the fourth Huge quarter. Huge play for them. Yeah, Huge obviously, won one of the game. It's the only two points they scored in the fourth quarter. Um, I, listen to my theory on Alex Smith. This isn't even me bashing him, because I don't hate Alex Smith. I, I, I don't love dink and dunk football, but like I don't necessarily hate it. Like it's not something like I I refuse to watch the NFL because guys throw like three yard outs. But um he's kind of the Andrew Bogut of the NFL where both future former number one overall picks both started their career iffy. Bogut's was mostly because of injury. And now they found their niches. Now neither of them are super duper stars. And this really goes but more, more last couple seasons with Bogan than this season. These Bogans on a team that stinks now, but they found their niches. They're not spectacular. It doesn't necessarily justify their number one overall selections. However, what what do they do? They help their team win games, and that's how that matters. Very interesting comparison, considering they were both the number one pick in their respective drafts in 2005, and they also came out of the same college. Yeah, but I, that was a big deal at the time, remember? That that was a big deal. I, I don't hate the comparison. I mean, I think Andrew Bogus kind of was more impactful for longer, but now Alex Smith is kind of just, he's really good. So I, I don't know. Well, Alex Smith's been, like, it's weird. Because nobody's going to want to ever give Alex Smith credit because he's a big dunker. But, like, the Chiefs aren't blessed with a ton of talent on offense. They're not. Like, their best wide receiver is Jeremy Macklin, and Alex Smith can't throw the ball 20 yards on the field which negates having Jeremy Macklin when he's healthy anyway. 
You know what I mean? They find yep. ways to use Tyreek Hill, who is kind of becoming another one of our mascots for some reason. We've become the Tyreek Hill show. Because he's um, awesome. Yeah, he is, he's fast. They, they use him running the football. They throw the screen passes to him. I think this is a kind of Andy Reid's deal now where we kind of realize what he likes to do with certain towns where I mean, they use – D'Anthony Thomas doesn't play a ton, but it's a similar thing where it's like, these are small receivers that have histories of playing running back. So let's get them the ball at the line of scrimmage and let them try to make plays in the open field. Not necessarily the open field, but with against two defenders instead of in the box. So Right, right. It, you're game planning differently for Alex Smith. You're not giving him the ball and, you know, telling him to go play hero ball and win the game for them. Uh, but yesterday he, he was impressive. He, in the playoffs, that's my, my thing is I believe, like, I, I'm unconvinced now. First game of the playoffs, they're going to do a play action out to throw a 60-yard bomb, and then the world's going to end. It's possible. I mean, that's it, what expect I would the do. unexpected in the playoffs, right? No, no one, no one's waiting on I, that. I here. wish I looked at the numbers beforehand, but I doubt Alex Smith has a in the air pass attempt more than forty yards. Not that a ton of guys do anyway, outside of Eli, Derek Carr, Ben Roethlisberger, and Kirk Cousins. And Kirk, and I was wrong about Kirk Cousins. Right? <laughs> All right, well, Hashtag it was wrong. Good win for the Chiefs, and again, the the AFC West, except for the San Diego Chargers, who are still the second best team in the AFC per for Jason Whitlock. Great, great season so far for the AFC West. It's very interesting. I'm Jason Whitlock. Very interesting there. I don't mean to. He just should never have said that. Uh, and th- this division gets even more interesting this Thursday night where the, the Chiefs host the Raiders. So that that's an exciting game. The to, Raiders. To keep your eyes peeled for. Next game I wanted to talk about, Joe, this is a team that you kind of pick every week, I feel like. And I tend to pick against them because I'm just not that impressed with them. But They're your Colts. Detroit Lions all of a sudden are eight and four after they go to to New Orleans and beat the Saints, which was really impressive because the last time the Saints scored less than fourteen points at home was December seventh, two thousand fourteen. So now we're talking about a Lions team that heading into the season, all anybody you know would talk about with them was their offense and how this is going to be a, a fast paced offense, how Matthew Stafford's going to air the ball out, how. Jim Bob Cooter really helped uh, resuscitate the offense in the second half of last season. And this year, it's, it's kind of been less of that. It's been more and more dinking and dunking than I was expecting out of Stafford, especially when he got off that hot start, kind of airing it out to Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones was hurt this week, but leading up to this week, Marvin Jones hasn't been a huge part of the game plan. Instead, it's been kind of finding Theo Riddick, you know, on short outs and, and getting the ball to Anquan Bolden over the middle and making Golden Tate a very valuable possession receiver. Who can well, do Golden Tate's been space. good for a couple of years now, too. Like, yeah, he, I think he you has. undersold him as, like you talked about the other, he's their best receiver. Well, heading into the season, it was unsure what they were going to do. I mean, I think most people assume that Golden Tate was going to kind of take wide receiver one responsibilities with Calvin Johnson not being there. But there were a lot of rumblings in training camp that Marvin Jones and Matthew Stafford were building this relationship. And I don't know if you remember, through the first three or four weeks of the season, Marvin Jones was leading the NFL in receiving yards. I mean, he had that huge game against the Packers, and during that time, Golden Tate was kind of being left out of the game plan. So we were really unsure what was going to happen. And then again, about like the week four, week five mark, everything changed. Stafford started targeting uh, Golden Tate a lot more heavily. Marvin Jones was less involved in the offense. Anquan Bolden a little bit more. And Theo Riddick just is a receiving monster for this team. So it's been interesting watching the way this team has kind of changed their strategy, and it seems to really be working for them. I cannot believe that they're 8-4 right now. Joe, I know you like the Lions. Anything you want to say about them? It's not that I like them. It's I just watched them. They have, I, like I said before, they have 
every Notre Dame player in the history of the world on the roster. Golden Tate, TJ Jones, Theo Riddick. Um, seriously, I, if you told me Brady Quinn was their backup quarterback, I would believe you at this point. Um, but, yeah, like, it's weird. Like, when watching them play, there's really no, like, like you said, Stafford has been deep. Like, he had a big pass play with Golden Tate yesterday, which was kind of blown coverage. But, um, it's weird because, like, there's really no reason to think they're going to be good. Like, I don't understand. Like, I pick them every week because of the spreads, but, like, I don't really know why they're 8-4. and four. <laughs> It doesn't make sense to No, me, it doesn't. But... It's just one of those – I think it's one of those things where um, – and it's not because they've played bad competition. You know what I mean? It's just I think it's one of those things where the mar- margin of error in the NFL is so small that had a couple of these games gone slightly different, they'd be – you know, only have six wins instead or something, six and six or whatever. So I think it's just the ball just bounced in their favor a couple times. And then, I mean, Drew Brees had three picks yesterday, which obviously helps. Right. Right. I mean, aside from that, it's They still can't run the football. Right. No, that, but that's not a thing that they're even trying to do anymore at this point. I mean, Zach Zenner gets nine carries and Dwayne Washington gets seven carries. It's just, it's like a formality for them. They have to run the ball. To well, yeah, and then they run up, the you know, they, they put Theo Riddick in the back, though, but he's not there to run the football at all. No, he's no. there. He's there. He's there to catch it. Right, with, he had five catches hands. for fifteen yards. That's essentially their running game at this point. Is Theo Riddick catching balls out of the backfield? But again, you know, yesterday I was just I was really impressed with their defense because Drew Brees didn't have a terrible game, all things considered. He still completes thirty-one of forty-four passes for three hundred twenty-six yards. But like you mentioned, you know, the defense was there at the right time, picking them off three times. They hold the the Saints' rushing attack to fifty yards, which was huge considering, you know, the last few weeks both Mark Ingram and Tim Hightower had been going off. So it's just, it's impressive to see Detroit get this win on the road in New Orleans. And, uh, yeah, they're definitely a team that we have to watch out for looking forward, I think. I agree. I concur. Speaking of teams that are kind of coming out of nowhere and, and having this unexpected success, Tampa Bay Buccaneers improved to 7-5 and five yesterday, beating the San Diego Chargers in a road game for them. Uh, and they, they, too, they had a huge fourth quarter. They, they outscored San Diego 11 to nothing, and it seemed like this game kind of started changing tides in the third quarter when Phil Rivers threw a pick six, and the Chargers just weren't able to get back into the game after that. Uh, again, you know, I kind of joked before that the Chargers aren't good, but that's more of a stab at, at somebody who said that they are really good. Uh, this is an impressive win for the Bucks, though, because the Chargers aren't bad, and this was a game that they were favored in, and uh, just I'm, I'm really impressed with the Bucks coming out of nowhere to win uh, four games in a row. They have wins so far this season over Atlanta, Kansas City, Seattle, and now the Chargers. I mean, they could be for real. Joe, what do you think? Uh, man, this is tough because the thing is, I just spent last week listening to people smarter than me in the NFL tell me that Jameis Winston isn't as good as they thought and not progressing the way they thought. But they're 7-5, and five and they don't run the ball well. So he has to be the reason offensively they win games, right? So I'm just confused. This, Like with Matthew Stafford, at least we have evidence that he can chuck it. Like not necessarily well all the time, but he can chuck it. With Winston's thing coming out of the draft was like he has a high IQ and he's great in the, the, the film sessions and he's going to be able to all this other stuff. But he turns the ball over a lot. He holds on to the ball a lot. And guys were saying this week, like, you know, like, Mariota's developed better. Mariota was on an incredible hot streak as well, so maybe that's unfair. But, like, I'm just confused. I'm, I'm, I am. I'm just confused. I don't know why the Bucks are 7-5 either. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't know either, but I mean you look at their remaining schedule and they have two games left against the Saints. They're in Dallas and they finish the season against the Panthers. Again, right now they're seven and five. They're in the last spot in the, the NFC wild card. So the sixth team into the playoffs. I mean, I think they have a legitimate shot at getting there. And as much as you want to take things away from Jameis Winston, I mean, he's been fine. He knows where his bread is buttered and he goes to Mike Evans all the time. Cameron Brates emerged as a decent tight end for them, and it's just it looks like their defense has been getting big stops for them these last few weeks. You saw it in the Seattle game where they held the Seahawks to five points. I mean, the week before that, they were at Kansas City and they came out with a huge win. I just This team's doing a lot of things to win, and it's, it's really hard to explain because, you know, like you said, J- Jameis isn't great, but he's helping them win games. And I, I think there's a little bit of an emotional aspect to this, too, where I think the team kind of looks to him to lead them, and, and he comes up big for them in big spots. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to crush Jameis or say he isn't progressing. Sure, he's not like, you know, a stud quarterback at this point of his career. He's not a top 10, maybe not even a top 15 quarterback. But well, in it's a league second with, year in the NFL. Right, in a, but I'm saying in a league with, you know, like 20 or so serviceable quarterbacks, I think he's definitely in that conversation. Yeah, like he's going to be solid. Like he's competent. I, it's just weird. I, I also don't like this idea like second year quarterbacks were going like, to kind of try to define them. Maybe that was, I'm coming from the perspective of trying to listen to too much NFL talk this week. You know what I mean? And not and just trusting their opinions more than mine. Because I do trust their opinions more than mine because I don't watch it the way I watch basketball. And I half the time I have no idea what's going on. Because I don't know like whose offensive line is good and what guard is costing their quarterback an extra point seven seconds in the pocket. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, I, I all week I just heard, eh, Jameis Winston's not as good as we thought, and blah blah blah. And like he didn't necessarily play great yesterday, but I think the points you made were good. And I also think like, you know, moving forward, you still got to feel like their defense is solid. Winston's going to get better. Like, just because he's he's being a slightly turnover prone over his first two years doesn't mean that's who he's going to forever be. Peyton Manning was a turnover monster in his first year in the NFL. Right. They're trending in the right direction for both exactly. this season and, and moving forward. I mean, I just I think things look pretty good for them. They're actually they're tied with the Falcons for first in the NFC South. So. It'll be interesting to see how things play out in that division. Nobody wants just, to see the Falcons in the playoffs. <laughs> so let's get let's get let's let's get going, Jameis. I'd rather see the Bucs. I'm sick of seeing the Falcons defense. Well, I mean it's kind of fun to see the Falcons defense just give up a thousand points. Right. I mean th- their offense has been fun to watch this year, the Falcons that is, but yeah, I, I don't totally disagree with you. The Falcons finished the season at St. Louis, home against the 49ers. Wow, so who's St. Louis? At, at Los Angeles. <laughs> That's a win for them if they're gonna St. Louis to play a game. Showing up somewhere, there's no game to be played. They're playing the St. Louis Cardinals. So they're at the Rams, they're home against the Niners, at the Panthers, and home against the Saints. So it's going to be interesting to see how both they and Tampa Bay finish. And it looks like we have a real uh, race to win this division, which, listen, I I don't care if I don't care about either teams. It's always fun to see teams kind of fighting for Photo finishes are the best. I I agree completely. Uh, Last team that I kind of wanted to talk about, and I really want you to talk about more so, is... uh, the Denver Broncos, Joe, who started your boy Paxton Lynch yesterday, and and he didn't look so great. No. Joe, t- tell me what you saw out of that Broncos game. Which, which let's be fair, they beat Jacksonville. It was a tough game, but a win is a win, and they're they're in a playoff spot right now. Yeah, how, how do you feel about the Broncos moving forward, though? Um, well, listen, Paxton Lynch was always forever going. Like we knew this before the season. Like John always said, like hey, like he's a developmental quarterback. Like that's why like the Trevor Simeon thing began with is because they felt like. Lynch was a year or two away from being competent enough to play. Um, they forced the ball to, well, Paxton, I don't know if it was by design or Paxton Lynch was just 
hey, let me go to my best target. 18 targets to Demarius Thomas yesterday, 12 to Emmanuel Sanders. My goodness, did they target those guys heavy. And then, like, Cody Latimer at 10, or, uh, not, I'm sorry, not Cody Latimer. I meant them to speak that Sanders had nine targets. Uh, but, yeah, they targeted really heavy their top two receivers. They didn't try to pass the ball a ton or go down the field or do anything. They were. It just felt like a game where they're like, we'll trust Blake Bortles to be Blake Bortles. And, our defense and he was. Be, yeah. It, and worked, we'll play, it worked out for them. Yeah, we're going to trust our defense to be our defense. And we will run the ball nine million times for two yards at a clip and just pray to goodness we beat this team two to nothing. They happened to win 20 to 10, but, you know, it worked out well for them. Yeah, it did. And again, I mean, you know, as much as you want to freak out over quarterback play for this team, it just it, it looks a lot like last year's Broncos looked where just the defense is going to win these guys games. You just got to show up and try to put some points on the board. Now let your quarterback shoot you in the foot, which, listen, I guess Paxton Lynch is kind of doing a better job of that than Trevor Simeon was at points. So, I mean, at least at least you don't have a quarterback out there that's losing games for you. I, yeah, I, I mean, they also play Jacksonville State. So, like, it's... Like, if you're a, I am a Denver fan, so do I feel great about them? No. Do I think if they go in the playoffs, they get smoked? Yep. But I think what you're trying to do still is, like, you know your team at this point. You know your 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 defense is what's going to win you games. And whoever's that quarterback, you have to hope's competent. And then the long-term view is your quarterback issue. But for this season, the expectations are just try to make the playoffs. And then when you make the playoffs, just know you're probably going to get smoked. Do you think this team does make the playoffs, Joe? I don't know, man. The AFC West top, um, because I could, like, listen, they only beat Jacksonville by 10. I don't, let me pull up the schedule real quick. So then they have the Titans, who have been playing pretty well this season, Patriots, Chiefs, Raiders. They could, feasi- they could feasibly lose the last four games of the year. Like, they're going to not be favored in three of the four. Like, the Patriots, Chiefs, and Raiders are all going to be favored over them, I believe. Is the Chiefs game a home game or a road game for them? It's a road game. They're at the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, that, that's tough. These, these are tough games. They're also at the Titans. So their two hardest games, Patriots, Raiders, are at home. Their two easier games, Chiefs, Titans, are on the road. Right. We're, we're really going to find out how good this defense is over the next few weeks. And, again, I, just, I feel like if they even get average quarterback play, they're probably in an okay spot. But it, you, you have to be a little worried that they're not running the ball better at this point. And Devontae Booker just, he's not productive. I mean, he's it's, it's slow and it's not, I don't know, it's not fun to watch. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's... No, it's, listen, man, I, I spend every Monday podcast day and I want guys throwing the ball 80 yards down the field. So watching Denver basically punt on offense, like they're basically saying... For the love of goodness, defense scores touchdowns, and their defense has scored them a touchdown yesterday. It's it's not fun. Watching All like things- listen, like man, like watching defense. Like whoever says watching defense play well is fun is dumb. <laughs> or like, played or played defense in high school or something and hasn't played football since. Yeah, like I don't want to. Like listen, man. Like I like good for defenses for being great. Like seriously, and, like is watching a sack fun? It could be, and a pick six is fun. But like watching like. A pass deflected isn't fun, and watching a quote running back only get the ball three three yards at a clip is not fun. Give me give, give me offense, man. Inject, put that stuff in my AV. Stop with the button hooks. There it is. Joe. I, don't know, glad- I don't know if teams run button hooks anymore. I couldn't think of a route to say. I'm glad you're telling us what's fun and what isn't fun, but I don't disagree with your points. I, well, I said for me. I didn't say 
You have fun, whatever you want. You want go have fun watching the safety eight guys in the box because Denver can't pass the football. Wear a turtleneck while you're at it. Yeah, not even a mock turtleneck. I'm gonna ask for a mock turtleneck for Christmas and wear it. What's a mock turtleneck? Is that like a like, all right? So a real turtleneck folds, right? Right. A mock turtleneck, it just stops, and then you don't have to fold it. It's already built in, but instead of it being a clean cut, it almost has like a uh, man. A feathered top to it. I could easily Google this. I just wanted to hear you explain it. I, it's hard to explain. I used to rock this red one in high school, and man, oh, I so loved that's it. That's where it's coming from. I love Joe. It. Joe is a turtleneck wearer. I, a mock turtleneck wearer back in high school. Interesting. It was I, in when I was in high school, at least in my area. I don't know what was in, in, in New York, but in, in northeastern Pennsylvania, my turtlenecks were, were the rage in 2000, 2001. Sounds cool, man. I find that over these last few shows, like just before we're getting ready for bad tweets, we dip into our lowest part of the show and have the worst conversation. So with that being tradition, Joe, Mario, hit the music. Fry MJ memes with the side of some racism. Many hot takes. Some of them. Bad tweets. All right, so we're going to start Bad Tweets off today with, I guess, something local to Joe, I guess. This tweet was from Nick Kyle at Nick Kyle tweeted on, uh, on I don't even know, was it Saturday, was it Sunday? I think it was Sunday. Sunday yesterday, yeah. Right, it's Sunday. Penn State has been, all caps, robbed in what I believe to be the biggest American sports tragedy of all time. Shameful precedent set by... So that was Nick Kyle's tweet, and listen... You're obviously not listening to our podcast for college football news. We don't ever talk about college football, but this was kind of a big topic. Uh, I don't think I was outraged. I think that the NCAA or the FBS or whoever selects the bowl games, that's how little I watch college football. I think they got it right, essentially. This was just a crazy overreaction. But really, I wanted to talk about this, Joe, because Penn State's sort of local to you. Joe, how, how do you feel about Nick Kyle's bad tweet? It's a point. Listen, he deleted the tweet, and then... But originally, like, he tried double... It's a poor choice of wording. Um, it was a strong overreaction, robbed caps. Um, he used the word tragedy. Biggest American sports tragedy yeah. of all time is what he said. Biggest so, then, American- so then, like, he tried to clarify it by saying, you know, I meant relative to sports, because people were pointing out, you know, Penn State's, you know, the sexual abuse of children. Um, it was a poor choice of words. He could have said Penn State was robbed. Biggest disappointment, like whatever, and then one of the big, big, like instead of tragedy, just used disappointment, and we would have just made fun of him for just overreacting. But it was really, it was, it was the overreaction coupled in with the poor, poor choice of your words in the context of Penn State that made it a really bad tweet. I just like how we doubled down initially, then at some point somebody told me, or he realized, man, I should have just eaten the L, and then he goes back and deletes everything. Yeah, yeah, I, I was a little disappointed that he deleted that tweet because when I saw it, I was like, oh, here we go. We got a great bad tweet to talk about. Fortunately, like every bad tweet, this was screen grabbed, so we were able to still read it to you guys. Um, here's the thing. It's just it's still hard to separate, you know, Penn State football on the field, the new regime, everything that's going on there from what we found out, you know, less than five years ago that happened at Penn State with Jerry Sandusky. Yeah, it's, it's unfair to the current football program and to the players and to the coaches and even to the students in a sense. But 
there's still that that there's still feelings coming out of of Penn State of you know what what happened. We shouldn't be punished for what happened. Well, they still want to put up and a we, Joe Paterno statue. Well, right, that, that, that's what I'm getting to. They're and being it, defiant about it. Correct, and you know, as as long as there's going to be defiance about it, and a, a sense of we didn't do anything, and a sense of a sense of even like trying to claim that they're the victims in all of this, it's going to be hard for for people across the country to to give them any kind of credit to resonate. And again, like we should be able to separate what's happening on a football field from what's happening off the football field. At least, at least in this context, where yeah, Penn State didn't get chosen. They didn't not get chosen because of things that happened there over the last few years. But at the same time, like you're not going to get any sympathy for them or their fan base, especially when you use words like biggest American sports tragedy of all time. You know, it's it's just it's it's so it's dramatic. I, I feel conflicted, though, because I do feel like, yeah, Penn State fans should be able to, you know, file their grievances and, and be upset that they got snubbed or that or even feel like they got snubbed. Of course, you could feel that way. But. To start throwing around terms like that and call well, I don't know. He, he's a radio host or something, that guy. So I don't know what his deal is. I think that's 2016 in a nutshell, though, where we're going to say the most crazy hyperbolic thing with poorly choice words given the context in a situation that doesn't even need it. All you had to say was like, hey, what a disappointment. That's it. Yeah. I, and, I, your I, point, and the point would have been made. And everybody, you know, people are chasing them retweets and drawing attention to themselves, and instead of actually speaking in the... It's not even a nuanced way. All you have to say is disappointment. Because if you're a Penn State fan, that's what it is. It's not complicated. Before we move on, Joe, do you think the committee got it right? Do you think the the four teams that are going to be playing for the college football championship are the right four teams? No, four and eight Notre Dame should have been in there. All right, good talk. (laughs) Seriously, do you have any serious stakes on that? No, I think it was fine. Like, I, I, I haven't watched enough of those teams... I'll, like I, I watched Alabama and they look great. And I don't know enough about the other teams to have a solid opinion. I know Penn State lost twice; they got smoked once. Washington. I know the thing is, it was a Penn State or Washington or whatever, or I guess Ohio State because Ohio State they won the division. I when I watch Ohio State play, they look like they have pros. Penn State still kind of looks like I don't know how they have ten wins. Right. Yep. Yep. I I agree with you. Woo, college football. All right, let's move on. Our next bad tweet. From at Nate Duncan, Nate Duncan does a really great job covering the NBA. I think he's really bright. However, I think he's very wrong on on a subject we're about to go into. Nate Duncan tweets on December 2nd, Anyone who thinks hitting Harden's head was intentional, or even that this was an unnatural extension, in quotes, has no understanding of physics. So, in case you missed it, Nate Duncan is blaming uh, Draymond Green kicking James Harden in the head. On physics, I guess. I, I'm not sure really where he's going with this, but really what we're talking about is Draymond Green is having more kicking episodes. We saw it in the playoffs last year where he kicked Steven Adams in the groin and then, then gets suspended in the NBA Finals when he has that uh, altercation with LeBron James. It's just we're at a point now where it's very clear that Draymond is obviously kicking people and that this isn't his body's going nuts and he can't control himself as much as he wants to defend himself and, and blame it on, on, you know, again, on physics, I guess, or his athleticism or people not understanding how somebody can be so athletic or not understanding the way the human body works. I don't even know how he's blaming this on anything. Draymond Green is very obviously kicking people. Joe, what do you think? I'm sick of the Draymond stuff, man. I saw very, uh, listen, if he can't help it, he can't help it. If he is kicking people on purpose, 
So be it. But he's got to get called for the fouls. And if there's a rule in place that it's like a flagrant or whatever, you have to call it to him. Do you know what I mean? Like, whatever. If it's unnatural or whatever. Like, I there there isn't a – I know other players have in the history of their career accidentally kicked a dude in the head. But yeah, Draymond, I, Draymond's doing it constantly. So whether it's on purpose or not, it doesn't matter anymore. He's just kicking dudes in the head. So, okay, we all know this now. Whatever. I don't care. I I'm so sick of this. It's not even a storyline or a talking point. And Mike Cots Golden State stuffed down the line because he could be suspended because of too many technical fouls or whatever. We'll deal with that then. As far as a talking point in early December, I don't care. I don't think it's like this crazy distraction from the Warriors. It does bother me from the aspect of Draymond Green is one of the best players in the NBA and he keeps doing this stuff. Like it, it's crap. It's it's kind of garbage that he does it. You and I had a conversation the other day about dirty play and how arbitrary dirty play can be. Uh, so I don't want to like kill Draymond for dirty play. What does bother me about it though is how defensive he is about it. He went as far as to say, uh, if you're going to say that what I did is unnatural, then look at what James Harden does. I've never seen anybody do what James Harden does, the way he draws contact and tries to get shots up. So the way he was trying to compare James Harden trying to draw fouls to him kicking people and, and saying it's just a physical act or whatever, that that really bothered me. Apparently it bothered Harden too. He, he called back. He said, uh, I wouldn't say what I do is unnatural for me. I just go to the basket with two hands and people grab my arm. It's foul. You know, like, I don't know how Draymond even thought these two things were comparable. I just, I, I can't help but wonder if he looks at this as his, well, I'm a star and I should get calls. But to me, it's like, you're not even kicking your leg out when you're taking shots. Like, it's not like you're trying to draw contact after a play to draw a foul. Like, you're doing this in the middle of, like, you know, in the middle of contact plays. Like, you're going up for a rebound and you're kicking somebody. You're, you're going after a loose ball and your head is going above somebody's head. Your, I'm sorry, your foot is going above somebody's head. So I, I just, like, I don't I don't get it. Maybe if he didn't look like he was scissor-kicking James Harden the other night, it wouldn't have been as bad. It's just, it's so weird, and the way he's so defensive about it just doesn't make me feel good. Don't make Jared feel bad during my game. You know, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, it's just the type of thing. It's I don't so care. Weird. I'm sick of it. <laughs> so it's like, two years now. Whatever. Right. He kicks dudes in the head. Listen, and then a lot of things considered. Unless he's really con- connecting, like, hard, which has been rare. And I know he's had the one in the Coyones, and that's a different story altogether. But, like, whatever, man. He, Deal. He, we're, 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 when you're playing when you're playing Golden State, like, I'm not excusing him at all. I'm just saying, like, when you play Golden State, put on those Rick Steiner earmuffs and put on the cup. I don't know if you saw it against – I'm glad you made a Rick Steiner reference. I don't know if you saw it, but on Saturday when they were playing against the Suns, he actually kicked Marquise Chris's uh, hand. And he actually broke one of his fingers. So it, it, it is getting to a point where it's just, like, unacceptable. People are getting hurt. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not just, Well, then like, somebody stepped to him. Interesting. I, I don't disagree. Maybe, maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe somebody just no, no, who to wants to, Yeah, then it's like, who wants to step to Draymond Green? Right, who's fighting Draymond? Interesting. <laughs> well, well, we will see. I just... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a talking point. It's going to be something that keeps happening. I just... I, I don't know what... What can be done to stop it? it he could become can't... older and less, lim- less limber. Right. So I guess that's what we have to wait for. Draymond Green's uh, prime. Like in six years, this won't be a talking point anymore because Draymond won't be able to kick his legs this high. Can't wait another six years. All right. The last NBA topic I wanted to get into. 
Oh, deep breath. I wanted to do this because I believe in fairness. Get your hopes up high now so we crush big later. And I so <laughs> frequently kill this team for everything bad that they do, so I have to acknowledge the good. So while we're on the topic of Golden State Warriors and super teams, we should check in on the other NBA super team. And that's none other than my hometown, New York Knicks, who have won 8 of 11 games. Last night they, they get another impressive win. I, I watched the Impressive. entire team. They played the Kings. Yeah, I, I watched the entire game, and I don't even remember who they played. The uh, but it, it, right, it, it was another good win. The thing that really stuck out to me, though, the Kings stink. The thing that really stuck out to me was Derrick Rose, who playing his best basketball as a Nick. Over the last two games, he's eighteen to twenty-nine from the field, averaging twenty-two points in those games, and he's looking to distribute the ball too. The, the thing that bothered me watching Rose earlier in the season was he, he kind of goes into these ISO plays where he doesn't even lift his head. He doesn't look to find the open guy, and he's not overly efficient from the field. The last few games, he's been a lot more efficient. He's been looking to pass the ball. He's getting other guys involved. You know, gr- Granted, I think Brandon Jennings is kind of the better facilitator of the two point guards on this team this season, but it's good to see that Rose is starting to, to find his groove with this team and look a little more comfortable out there. And again, you know, they they got wins recently over the Kings. They beat the Wolves twice. I mean, they, they're not beating the best teams in the NBA, but you can only you can only play who you play. And the Knicks are two games over 500, 20 games into a season for the third time since two thousand one. So, like I said, all I do is crush this team. I have to acknowledge the good. Kristaps Porzingis is having an amazing second year. They have more depth than than anybody thought the team would have had. And yes. This is probably the best stretch of basketball they're going to play all season. But, again, they have a winning record. Derrick Rose is playing well. Way to go, Knicks. Joe, do you have anything you'd like to add? I think the Knicks only have one win against a team above 500. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, they beat both. No, Port- is Portland a 500 team yet? Portland's 8-8, I think. Yeah, so that's a 500 team. I said they above beat Portland, 500. They beat Portland and Charlotte last week. They beat Atlanta also pretty recently. I mean, they're, they're oh, not. I don't know. They play, okay, I apologize. They beat, like, two teams above 500. Um, thank you. My biggest thing, like, listen, all that stuff you said is true. I don't think it holds throughout the season. When did Joe Kim Noah become bad at free throws? What? When? I feel like he was born that way. No, he actually used to be a pretty solid free throw shooter. Really? Yeah. Uh, he's not good, so I, I don't know. Uh, you could have ended that. When well, no, Joe okay, Kim- listen, I'm, well, let me real quick. Like, I'm not saying he was ever good, but he was a 70% free throw shooter all the way up to 2000, like above 70%. Above 2014, 2015 was the 60%. Last year, the 49%. This year, he's at 24%. Okay, so, so, for like eight years, years of his career, he was a 70%. Not eight years. Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven years of his career, he was a set above 70% free throw shooter. Dipped down to 60. And now, all of a sudden, he's at 24%. Not great, Joe. How did that yeah, happen? Like, how does that happen? Like, seriously, because free throw shooting isn't something you lose to age. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, either you can make free throws or you can't. You usually don't get worse as your career goes on. If anything, you get better. Yep, not Joe Kim Noah. Not, nothing about Joe Kim Noah appears to be getting better. Uh, he's been banged up, and he, he played a little bit last night. He looked pretty terrible out there. Uh, yeah, not not great signing that guy to a four-year contract. But again, I'm here to talk about the good. You're right. No, listen, what I also like is they are... Um, and this is because of Rose as well, so credit to him, is they are getting Kristaps more involved in ways that he should be involved. So I think um, right now things should be, everybody should be happy and then get all your hopes up and then by January, late January, February, I can make fun of again for stinking. 
Right. I mean, here's the thing with the Knicks is you always have to keep perspective. They they were 22 and 22 last season. So like it's not it's not like it was a miserable season all season. They showed signs of promise through stretches. We're we're going to have to wait and see before we make any definitive statements about them. It just it's Knicks encouraging. Two feed. Heading heading into the season though, I was saying the only way that they'd be a good team is if Porzingis kind of takes that next step and and the guys around him are okay. Like I I wasn't one of these guys who were like, well, they got Noah and Rose, now they're going to be a good team. It was well, Noah and Rose aren't that good, but like they could still have some kind of value. It's just going to be about Porzingis and Melo playing well. Melo has you know what stinks about the Rose thing? Like say he plays well the rest of the season, say the Knicks end up like a five or a six seed. What do they do? Do they sign him to a huge deal? Well, here's the scary thing, and I was kind of trying to avoid talking about it. They, they've Trade already him. been talking about the Knicks possibly extending him. So, I mean, we might not even have to wait for that. I don't know if you remember. I think it was the, I think it was the 2006, 2007 season, and the Knicks got off to like a, a not even bad start, but like not, definitely not good. And they they give Isaiah Thomas that contract extension like a month into the season. So James Dolan's not overly. Uh, patient when it comes to these things i wouldn't be shocked if he's like well derrick rose is having two good games in a row we got to give him a four-year contract max him out right well <laughs> that's the thing though too he wants a max right he wants big money and it's going to be interesting to see if the knicks are like well yeah he's a franchise point guard and we never get franchise point guards so we got to max him it's going to be really tough if they do that I, I was tweeting through it last night saying rose has been playing well i'm grateful that he's playing this well I have zero interest in them bringing him back. I don't think that this is even going to last, but even if it does, they just they cannot bring him back. They can't maximize him. Now's not the time for me to talk about that, though. I mean, I just, I'm just i going to focus on how this team's playing currently, and again, they're, they're playing pretty well. They Actually, they cracked the top 10 in offensive rating through this, this recent stretch of good basketball they've been playing. So good for the Knicks. Shout-out to the Knicks. Way to go, guys. Yeah. There you go. Now, now Nick's Twitter can't tell me all I do is say bad things about the Knicks. James Dolan, front office of the year award winner. Yeah, James Dolan. That, that'll go to Phil Jackson, and it won't go to Phil Jackson because he will not win that award because the Knicks will not be that good the rest of the season. But I digress. I also wanted to point out last night's game, the Kings are such a freaking mess. I, I don't know what's going on with them, and I hate watching DeMarcus Cousins be that like high-volume guy. Blow he wants he wants to be a guard so bad. It's crazy. He, like, he chucked maybe, like, four threes down, like, the stretch of that game. And I know the Kings needed to get back into it, but it's just weird to see him not just, like, be the post-up guy, but, like, facilitate the offense facing up from, like, 30 feet out. It's it's weird. It's forced. He's so talented. He's so good. But, like, I wouldn't feel good if the team I was watching had a seven-footer just, like, chucking threes at the end of the game instead of looking for anybody. Well, I mean, if I was a King fan, I wouldn't feel good in general. Ben McMore doesn't play because he stinks. Everybody else on the roster stinks. Sam Hankey to the Kings. Wow, I like it. That is a good I think we talked about that on Friday. We did. All right, Joe, let's, let's wrap up our show. Let's do some absurd questions. Mario? It is time for the absurd questions portion of the podcast. Absurd! Questions. All right, let me go first because mine's not great. Oh, Joe. But it is the Christmas season. So. Holiday season, my friend. Whatever. Okay. Did you see that joke about, never mind, I can't even say it. Um, I can't. I can't because we'll get in trouble. So don't. I'm not. Um, What is your favorite Christmas movie? And if there's anything in that movie you can change, what would it be and why and how, what would you change it to? That's a 
pretty good question, actually. I'm glad you asked your Jewish friend what his favorite Christmas movie is. <laughs> yeah, um, like, okay, like, you don't I know, I know, I know. I'm Jewish, I don't know Christmas. <laughs> I, I, what I, is this you speak of? I'm so confused. My fiancé and I just put our tree up Friday night. Uh, my favorite Christmas movie... You, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining you have an answer, so why don't you give your answer so you give me a little time to, to give a thoughtful response. Sure. So, uh, Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase, obviously, is my favorite. Not obviously, but that's my favorite. It's my clear-cut favorite. Although, um, the second Ghostbusters is a sneaky Christmas movie. Yes. But um, And I actually like that. I know a lot of people don't like the second Ghostbusters video. But circling back to Chevy Chase... If this that movie was made today, I'd want it to be a, like because it's actually kind of dark. If you watch it, like I watched it the first time as a kid, a lot of the adult jokes went over my head. There's a lot of adult jokes in it, obviously tons. But I want it even darker. I want Chevy Chase on the side to be a serial killer, Clark, wow. Clark Griswold to be murdering people. That'd be I mean, he's kind of close in that movie to be like a crazy person, like Julia Lewis Dreyfus, like he's saying and doing pretty absurd things. You know what I mean? He might actually be a serial killer. He might be. Wow, that, that's a deep layer that you uncovered. Well, like, I mean, you have the chainsaw, he's staring her down. What does he say to her when he has the chainsaw right before he cuts? I like, can't quote that. You movie. want a big piece of wood or Wow. Yeah, that movie, like, if you haven't watched it in a while, I, I know have. some people are going to say it's overrated. Watch it as an adult and pick up on how many really adulty themes that, theme things there are. I, I haven't. Go ahead. No, I, I mean, I saw it first as a kid, and I just thought it was like what a, a whatever Christmas movie, and I thought it was fine. And then I can't remember the first time I watched it as an adult, but I remember realizing, oh, this is probably for adults. <laughs> like the movie, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, I don't know, if, I don't know how it's treated now in the Christmas. I, because I know, like a lot of the cool thing now is to say Die Hard's your favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, that's fine. Like, I like Die Hard, too. Um, but, no, it's Christmas Vacation. I'm not really huge into the vacation movies. Like, no, I that's the only one I like. I, yeah, I probably saw them all when I was, like, a little kid. And, like, they just they didn't hold for me. So I'm not really that big on them. But uh, maybe I'll give that a look. Chevy Chase was pretty funny back in the day. So it's, Oh, Chevy? 80s? Yeah. Go. Not go, yeah. but he was awesome. He, he was in there. He was in the conversation. Um, so for me... This is a good question. I wish I had, like, better answers, but I think I'm going to be pretty standard. The first movie to pop up into my head is Jingle All the Way. Is that Wait, Tim Allen or Arnold Schwarzenegger? I, oh, man, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was... I'm pretty sure it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I'll go it real right? quick. There's a isn't, sequel. There's, isn't, isn't Jingle All the Way the, yeah, the it's Turbo Arnold. Man? It's Arnold. That's the Turbo Man movie with Sinbad. Jamie, I'm going to get you your toy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good movie. I, I, love, <laughs> right. I really love that movie a lot. When you, when you Google it, the first one is, I'm going to get your, your toy on YouTube. Is that real? Is that real? Yeah. I, I, like, made that up. I, I, well, I it says looking for Turbo Man. Yeah, that's what the, right. the clip says. Yeah, he's like, Arnold Schwarzenegger is such a bad dad in that movie. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a good one. It's not a good enough movie, though, to be like, this is the best Christmas movie ever. So, like, I don't want to offend anybody by saying that's it. But just giving it a shout-out for having Phil Hartman and Sinbad in it. Both of them are tremendous in that movie. There's a uh, sequel. Oh, there's a sequel? Yeah. What's Start, his name? Uh, Where's the Cable Guy? Too? Uh, Big Show. Big Show's in Jingle All the Way. Is he? Yes. Oh, Larry the Cable Guy is in the second one. Another, res- another wrestler is in the second one, too. Santino Morella. I don't even know who that He's is. He's not also- a good wrestler. To, all right, to keep rattling through my list, I, I feel like the obvious answers here have to be Home Alone and Home Alone 2. 
I love both those movies. They're great. I really enjoy them still as an adult. Uh, they're they're definitely like as Christmassy Christmas movies as it gets for me. So I got to put those in. And to go old school, I'm going to say a Christmas story. A Christmas story is a really good movie. I find it funnier. Like as I get older too, I, I really like that movie a lot. So uh, I don't have like a a classic like good movie. I don't I don't even know if there are any like serious Christmas movies. Are there? Is there something I'm leaving out, like White Christmas or anything like that? I don't know. That's up to you, man. You didn't make a change to any of these movies. No, no, I didn't. I'm not, I can't change a Christmas movie. What am I going to do? Make it about Hanukkah? Then it'll suck. So no, that, I, yeah, that's man. That, that's the route you were supposed to go with this. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin has to save his house for eight days. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. That's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> he befriends Joe Pesci, who comes in and helps him light the candle every night. Right, he gets his Jewish neighbor to beat the hell out of those two guys instead. I'm, I'm sure that's going to happen. <laughs> All right, no no twists on that. Was, was your question supposed to include a twist? I thought only you added a twist because you're sick and demented and that's how you operate. No, well, I was kind of hoping you, I'm fully aware you're Jewish, I was kind of hoping you would turn a Christmas movie into a Jewish movie and we could make a joke about it. Nah, I don't have any twists. No. It's, not, it's not funny. Christmas movies are already funny as they are. What do you need the, the Jewish twist for? Miracle on 34th think... Street. Nobody, <laughs> yeah, gets, get... nobody gets the money or whatever they needed at the end. <laughs> That's terrible. Scrooge? Scrooge is a good one, too. I, Which I like one? That. With Bill Murray? Yeah, with Bill Murray. So do I. I want... I, I, I do wish, like, like one of these... Like, the person wouldn't learn their lesson. Do you know what I mean? Because there's, there's almost always a lesson in these movies. Always. Like, so, like... What if Bill yeah, Murray didn't Christmas. lose... Yeah, it can't be a Christmas movie without a lesson. True. I, my, my wife's watching all those crappy Hallmark movies. They're all same plot. Single mom or single dad, because they're widowed, has a tough job. There's a little calamities. They meet another single mom or single dad. They fall in love. Something convoluted happens. Then they win some kind of ice sculpting prize, and then they fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> I hate them so much. Dude, we had my fiance had the TV on Hallmark Channel for like five hours. I was the other day while I was doing work, and it's just, it's unbearable. She had it on, oh man, I, I can't believe you brought this up, because now I'm going to vent. We were watching it last Saturday, when we were putting up uh, her father's Christmas tree, and it was it was a movie about uh, striking on Christmas. Like, women were taking a stand that they weren't going to do Christmas anymore, because the guys in their households just don't do enough to help them. So it was like all these dudes scrambling to make Christmas stuff happen, while the girls are, like, so smug and stuck up, like, see, I knew you couldn't do Christmas without me. I knew you couldn't cook a five-star meal for everybody. It, it, I was just, like, I was infuriated by and it. And the so, girl from Party Meets Five is in, like, nine of them. Party Meets Five. Or whatever. Which, you know what which I mean. Which one? Lacey Chabert. Oh, yeah, dude. She's, like, a Hallmark Channel, like, star. Legend. Yeah, she's Hallmark of the movie. Legend. Dude, that's so funny. I We were, like, watching the end of that movie, and I put the guide on to see what was coming up next, and I had to tell my fiance, I'm like, oh, the next one has Lacey Chabert in it. What was it? Was it wasn't called Party of Five, the show she was on? Uh, Party of Five, yeah, but you just called it, like, Party Meets Five or something. You know what's odd about that show? So, like, they had, like, a couple breakout stars, and Lacey did have Mean Girls. She had that spot, too. Yeah, so and Matthew, not another team movie. She was in not another team. Yeah, movie. but who was the other people? Like, is it, it's Matthew Fox, Nev Campbell, Lacey, who's the other two people? Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh yeah, and then who's like the, the the big star? I don't know. And the other one was uh, wasn't it like a little girl? It was Abigail Breslin. Was she the fifth one? I never watched Party of Five. You you Google it. I I'm gonna do click, it really quick. Party. I can't of, click on anything because because you make noises. 
Because my mouse is making loud noises. There was a spinoff of that show called Time of Your Life. Didn't know that, did you? I had no idea who was the lead. I don't know. I'm still trying to find out the cast. Well, no, it's probably like... Oh, Scott Wolf was the fifth guy. It wasn't a cast. Yeah, isn't that who you just said? No, I said Matthew Fox. Oh, right, 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 right. Whatever happened to him? Which one, Scott Wolf or Matthew Fox? Matthew Fox. He still does stuff, like, periodically. Does he? Uh, Yeah, uh, I I looked up... Because I recently kind of binge-watched... Not recently, like, maybe it's called binge-watched Lost. Right. So I was like, oh, whatever. Like, sometimes these guys just fall off. I'm like, where did this guy go? And um, he's just somebody disappeared. He was in World War Z with uh, Brad right. Pitt, Ex- right. uh, Extinction. I don't care. And Alex Cross. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So he's been in stuff, just not a lot, and nothing really great. Interesting. I totally forgot about him. Yeah, Scott Wolf. That's who it was. Yeah, I, don't I thought it was a little girl for some reason. But Lisa yeah, Shabir was the little girl. Right, she probably <laughs> was the little girl. Again, I don't think I've watched more than like four minutes combined of. Party of Five. And well, I did, because four, I had a crush on Nev Campbell back then. I was going to say, those four minutes I watched, I was probably too young to realize that Fox wasn't going to show me Jennifer Love Hewitt naked, and once I left, <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm not watching this show anymore. All right, let's move on. My absurd question. So I know when you step away from sports, you prefer to write fiction, but if you could help write anyone in the world's autobiography, who would it be? Oh, man. That's so this one. question was inspired for me by uh, by BoJack Horseman, which I just started watching recently. Scott Wolf does a voice on that, by the way, folks, to, to circle back to Party of Five. <laughs> does he really? That's, yeah, it, I just went through his Wikipedia as you were talking. I'm like, oh, Scott Wolf's on BoJack Horseman. BoJack is really good. I'm really glad I started watching it. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Do you, do you want me to answer while you think about yeah, it? Yeah, you answer, because I need to cut. This is, this is a really good question. Yeah, so I, I like had a hard time coming up with a definitive answer. It's pretty tough. But, like, for me, it had to be someone that I'd really enjoy spending a lot of time with, like someone that does some fun stuff, some, like, baller stuff. That That's, like, the top priority for me in this process, I think. Not like, yeah, I'm really interested in your life. More like you're awesome and you do fun stuff. So when I was thinking about it, I came up with, like, either Drake or LeBron or, like, Aziz Ansari. Aziz Ansari would probably be really fun to hang out with. My low-key answer, however, was Danny DeVito. I'd love to hang out with Danny DeVito. I feel like <laughs> yeah. I feel like that guy's like seen it all, been through it all, still has like his mind about him to discuss everything. I like the new ad campaign with him and George Clooney. The and obviously, one. yeah, yeah, and Always Sunny in Philadelphia is like the funniest show on television. So I would love to hear how he's like transitioned over the years. He's also been in movies with like everybody, so I'd love to hear his Arnold stories and his Michael Douglas stories and like. Even his later stories. Tell me about Matilda. I don't. I don't care. Danny, <laughs> Danny DeVito's done a lot. I love Danny DeVito, stuff. so that's a great answer. Yeah. Thanks, man. How, how about you? Whose autobiography are you writing? Um, man, my mind immediately jumped, a bit, but I think it's because it's topical. Is Elon Musk? That's a good one. I yeah, mean, he's but a really I think I think person. I think it's really because it's topical. I'm super into this whole idea. He's trying to go to Mars. That's why you're going to do it. So you could find a way to mooch off by him and get to Mars. Well, I think if I wrote the autobiography, you'd give me a pass to go. Yeah. If I, especially if I paint him in a positive light. Um, I also wouldn't mind doing something like, like, uh, like, a, like, is Ridley Scott dead? Ridley Scott? Yeah. I think he's alive. Yeah, um, I, would, I wouldn't mind doing him. Like some kind of, like a, like a prolific director. I think I would like to do in the movies, even for movies. I just, I'm not sure which one. Um, but here's the thing you have to consider with that. Ridley Scott's 79. So are you going to get, like, this old, washed-up version of Ridley Scott that doesn't remember well, anything? Well, I'm kind of hoping getting the one that gives no more poops and is willing to tell me 
Right. That's like, like, so like, like I'll give you a quick example. I mean, I mean, you know, the story, um, when I interviewed Omar cook for slam, Omar had no more, uh, no more, um, aspirations to play in the NBA. So he was super honest about what he felt about the NBA and certain coaches and guys. So like I got Omar in his most honest and I won't name certain coaches now, but like when I interview coaches that are still coaching in college, they're not going to be as honest with me because they have to protect their job. Right. O- Omar, Omar had nothing left to protect. So like Ridley Scott, he has nothing left to care about. I mean, he does have another alien movie coming out. No, but, but he has he has enough clout that nobody's going to be like, right. Ridley, don't tell Joan our own that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> fair. What's your favorite Ridley Scott movie? Uh, probably probably the aliens. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually not a huge Ridley Scott guy. I have to look him up to see what my favorite Ridley Scott movie is. I well, I, um, I used him as the example because the other one that I, that popped in my head was Stanley Kubrick, but he's dead. He is not alive. Yeah, this isn't an all time. Well, no, I know, a, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on other direct. I'm just happen like Tarantino. I'm not interested in interviewing at all because he does so many of them. Right, that, you already, like, I want to be breaking down. Yeah, I already know. Um, right. Same thing with Kevin Smith, who we it used to be the Kevin Smith podcast back in the day. But uh, you could hear everything he has to say anywhere. Like, well, that's the thing. Like, oh, he's he's overexposed. Like, I like right. the ones that are a little bit. Um, I don't want to call them recluses, but like you know, they they leave the the aura of mystery around them where you don't really know. Absolutely. He does a lot of work still. He's an executive producer on uh, executive producer on the man in the high castle. Yeah. Executive producer on the good wife. Jeez, man. This guy does a ton of work. He actually has a lot of good movies. (laughs) I'm looking through it now. There's not, he hasn't done like a ton of movies, like for a 40 year career. You know what I mean? But he's done a good one. Blade runner. Right. Um, G.I. Jane was horrible. Gladiator. Gladiator is great. He Black did, he Black produced, Down was solid. American Gangster. Right, I was just going to say, I didn't realize he produced that movie. Uh, Pro, I liked Prometheus. I know people didn't like it. I thought it was good. I did not see it. Produced uh, Hannibal. I didn't know that. I didn't like that movie that much. Eh, it, it, hit me, it hit me at the right time. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Thelma and Really? He was involved in Thelma and Louise? Yeah, he's a producer. Wow. Yeah, he's yeah, all yeah, over the place. Some of these movies are all over the place. All right, Joe, I grant you access to Ridley Scott. Thank you. Ridley, I'll call you tomorrow. That was an interesting answer. I'm, I got to tell you, though, I'm really proud that you didn't go the Marty Jannetty, Christina Ricci route, because I was worried. It's like such a, like, get-out-of-jail-free card for you anytime I ask you oh, any about questions. Some, spend time with a famous person that's Ricci yeah. or Marty. Listen, yeah. the thing about Marty is he's probably at a dangerous spot in his life that I shouldn't want to be near him. And Fair. with Christina, like, I need to be realistic. Like, if I'm doing an autobiography on her, She's not going to want to hook up with me. So, like, by eliminating that, I don't want to eliminate my dream. So, right. I don't actually want to meet her because then my dream's dead. By not meeting her, the dream stays alive. In fairness, in BoJack, so BoJack Horseman has a, a woman that, that's, like, writing his memoirs for him. And he obviously falls in love with her. So, I mean, like, you never know. It could happen. Well, I'm also not, like, movie star good looking. And she probably, I believe she's married, probably to somebody super handsome. So she's not going to leave him to date me. Why you got to make it materialistic? She, maybe she doesn't care about your looks. Well, maybe I don't have a great personality just... either. I'm not witty, charming, and smart. <laughs> so <laughs> all I have to go off of is my looks, and they're very minimal at best as, as well. There you have it. <laughs> I think that's, that's a good way to wrap the show. If you want to know what Joe looks like, I actually tweeted a picture of him in a white polo on Friday. So yeah, go check my, out my, my Twitter. feuding on Twitter. 
<laughs> well, you made the poll about me. I don't even know what the results ended up being like. I'm sure you don't either. So no, Joe, I forgot. The, I forgot all about it until we just talked about it. Of course you did. So we talked on Friday about posting the poll whether or not Joe looks good or he looks like he <laughs> dumped his head under the sink or he went on Facebook Live. He turns it into, is Jared Mint sexy? Is he very sexy or is he yucky? And all of a sudden we got three votes for yucky out of nowhere. It wasn't even supposed to be about me. So Right, yeah, I yeah, and that's my fault for people putting yucky on the poll. It should have been all options of you being different variants of sexy. So well, that's my, my, my problem. I voted for Yucky. I was the first vote. It's fine. Were you really? I, I couldn't yeah. vote on my own poll. I was really mad because they felt really bad when the votes came back Yucky, the first one. I'm like, man, let me vote him super sexy. And it wouldn't let me do it. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not offended if Twitter doesn't think me and you my You don't Chris even have to picture yourself on Twitter. Right. So nobody knows what you look like. I'm, I'm <laughs> also 31 and getting married soon, so I really don't care what the internet thinks I look like. But if you want to see the picture I posted of Joe, you would care Bobby, if it came back 100% super sexy. <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> that's how these things work if yeah. the results are good you care if they're not you don't exactly. but if you want to see the picture I posted Joe on Friday you can follow me on Twitter at Hoops. catch my basketball rating at fanragsports.com I wrote about Mendalgas Kuzminskis <laughs> over the weekend so go check out my Knicks love Joe tell the people where they could find you um, at fanragsports.com as well on Twitter is at Joseph Nardone N-A-R-D-O-N-E and Nowhere else. Don't even look for him. Don't look Thanks, for guys. Him. I'm we'll on your Friday. Skittle do dop deep dop. There it is. All around me are familiar websites. Worn out clickbait. Worn out hot takes. Bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking. No one's clicking. Their pupils are filling up their pockets. But not for writers. Not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow. No tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Mad world.